Do you want a politically incorrect gateway to a real history education? Then go to mclanahanacademy.com. That's mclanahanacademy.com. The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 165. Are you ready to think locally and act locally? Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget, you can follow me on Twitter at Brian McClanahan. You can like my Facebook page at Brian McClanahan, and you can subscribe to my YouTube page at Brian McClanahan. If you want to go out and search for all those things, just go to my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. And you can find all my social media buttons at the top of the page. While you're there, give me an email address. And I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. You can also support the Brian McClanahan Show by going to brianmcclanahan.com forward slash support. You can throw a few pennies my way, help keep the lights on, help keep the podcast going. And don't forget, you have my McClanahan Academy, where I have my newest course. Well, not the newest course. I actually have one coming. If you listen to this podcast and it's the week of uh, June 25th, there is another Brian McClanahan, or I should say McClanahan Academy course that will hit July 2nd. But before that, you've got my War for Southern Independence course, which has sold like hotcakes. A great course. Um, you definitely want to pick that one up to uh, learn the true history of the War for Southern Independence. It's well worth your time. People are loving it. So pick, the, pick that up at McClanahanAcademy.com. You've also got my course on Alexander Hamilton and one on secession, and of course a new course forthcoming July 2nd. I'll have more information on that next week. If you're on my email list, you'll get information about it, and of course you'll also hear about it in next week's podcast. So be on the lookout for that. You can also support The Brian McClanahan Show by going to redbubble.com and purchasing your Brian McClanahan Show gear, your my logo on a t-shirt, a cup, a stationery, a wall clock, all kinds of cool stuff. And you can also hear me lecture at Learn true, T-R-U-E, history.com. It is a comprehensive website that has history, economics, philosophy, so a lot of stuff there. Go to learntruehistory.com. You can also support me that way. So all those things out there for you to support The Brian McClanahan Show and help this free podcast along because this is free. Everything else isn't, but this one is free. So if you want to help me, you think, gosh, that poor guy, um, I need to help him out. He's doing this podcast for free. He's enriching my day for free. Well, I'll throw a few pennies his way. Let's, uh, you can do so in a variety of different ways. Okay, so this week um, I'm actually going to talk about a magazine that I picked up in the grocery store the other day. And I did this a while back with one on presidents. Um, and it was a lot of fun. So I, I go into the uh, checkout aisle and I see a Time magazine. They do these little things, these special editions. And this one is uh, Founding Fathers, the American Visionaries Who Created a Great Nation. And it's a profile of seven individuals, longer profiles of what I called the big six in my politically incorrect guide to the founding fathers. They added one, but it's Thomas Jefferson, Ben Franklin, George Washington, John Adams, Alexander Hamilton, James Madison, and John Jay. John Jay is the one that I didn't cover in my pig to the founding fathers. I thought about it, but I think in some ways he's one of the more overrated of the bunch. Of course, he doesn't belong in that six. There's no way John Jay belongs in that six, that group of six. Now, you could make a case that Jay, well, I mean, he was a, a Supreme Court justice. Uh, you know, he was an author of the Federalist Essays. Yeah, that's true. Um, but uh, in terms of a lasting impact, 
Um, Jay just doesn't have it when it comes to these other other individuals, even in terms of uh, some of the individuals who they say in this magazine are supporting characters. In fact, when I go through and I read this magazine, I looked at it, I felt like I was reading my own book in some ways. And of course, my book came out almost 10 years ago now. But you, they have the Forgotten Founders kind of area, and they've got uh, the big six, but this is their seven pillars of liberty and freedom. So they, in some ways, kind of stole my format. Maybe they did that subconsciously. Maybe that's just the way that naturally it would work out. Or maybe they read my book, and they just didn't want to say that they read The Pig to the Founding Fathers. I don't know. But either way, we've got this little book. Now, I know they didn't, if they read my book, they didn't like my book because... Uh, they they get some things very wrong in this particular magazine, and it's also a, a sign of the times with some of the things they highlight and some of the things they talk about. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go through that uh, in particular, um, but I do find it fun to talk about the founding generation. It's what are like it's what got my start. It's where I got my start in publishing, um, and I remember you know Tom Woods asked me on his podcast uh, a couple few months back. He said, well, what was the first thing you ever wrote that was you know, published? And he was shocked because the first thing I ever wrote that was published and, and anything that was you know, either peer-reviewed or something, you know, major press, was my Pig to the Founding Fathers. I had written a couple little online articles before that, and then there was that. That was it. I didn't go out and write in the history journals. I didn't do any of that stuff. Uh, my first publication was my book. And so that's a little unconventional. A lot of people don't uh, don't go that route, but I was fortunate to, to be able to do that. Uh, and so uh, it's six books later, and uh, I've written about the founding generation. Of, you know that that book. I also wrote the uh, the, the founding fathers' uh, guide to the Constitution, which you can get at Barnes and Nobles for like eight bucks now. It's it still sells great through there. Um, and I've written a book on Hamilton. Of course, my book on nine presidents. Uh, focused a little bit on members of the founding generation when I talked about Jefferson and Washington. Uh, so this is a topic that I enjoy writing about. Um, I enjoy writing about the founding generation because, as I've said before, they are the greatest generation in American history. No, no offense to the World War II generation, but the founding generation, without question, is more important than any generation in American history. But when you read magazines like this, the impression you get is, well... These were great men, but uh, they're flawed. Just like all of us, they're flawed. Well, that's always true. But do we have to always qualify everything? And this is what, when I wrote The Pig to the Founding Fathers, I said that. Look, even saying that you admire the Founding Fathers without a qualification is becoming politically incorrect in the modern age. It shouldn't be that way. But just by saying, look, I, I love the Founding Generation. Yeah, but they were slave owners. So what? I mean, do we say these things? If, if I was to say, well, you know what? I really admire Aristotle. Nobody comes back and says, well, Aristotle advocated slavery. Yeah, that's true. But, I mean, can you not admire Aristotle? I mean, can you, do, do you always have to talk about these things? Um, and so I'm going to point out some of the things they do in this book that, that go in that route. And it's just so silly and stupid and pointless, really. I mean, irrelevant, uh, ultimately. We all know that America was a slaveholding society in the 18th century. That was that's known. Um, it's it just is what it is. And by by always pointing it out, essentially what you're suffering from is uh, you know an affliction known as presentism. You know everything has to be viewed for, through the lens of the 21st century. And if you don't do that, if you don't do that, well then you're just not on board. You're just 
you're you're some type of crazy guy who doesn't want to focus on the evils of people in the past. Uh, I'd rather talk about Hamilton and his constitutional machinations, which this book really, does, this little magazine doesn't do a whole lot of. You need to get my book on Hamilton, by the way, if you don't have it. It really it it, it goes after all this stuff. But anyways, uh, I'd rather focus on that than uh, a couple of pages on which founding members of the founding generation owned slaves. I will give them credit. They actually did point out that Ben Franklin did own slaves. It's often not something that you see, but he did. He, in fact, uh, maybe even dabbled in slave trading at one point. Uh, that's true. Uh, John Jay owned slaves, you know, so uh, that that's also true. Um, and, 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 of course, Washington, Jefferson, and, and Madison, and, and they point that out over and over again in this particular magazine. For what reason, I don't know. Uh, I guess to show that they're inconsistent. This is always a thing. Well, I mean, the founding generation, they're just inconsistent people. They're inconsistent. You can't believe everything they say because they said this. and then they, But see, this is where we get into the distortion, Abraham Lincoln's distortion of the Declaration of Independence. Nobody really understands it at the time. This wasn't seen as a problem because uh, the Declaration is a historical document in the context of the time and place and people that wrote it. And it's an expression of the Anglo-American tradition of law and society and what these people will do if government becomes abusive of the powers that has been granted by the people themselves. Remember, the British think that government works from the bottom up, not the top down. I mean, Jefferson had said this in the Declaration. There are many more important lines than all men are created equal, but unfortunately that's what you often get. That's all you get from the Declaration. That one line, stupid, stupidity. All right, so let's let's start with this. First of all, a lot of the authors, there are a couple of um, authors that were not Time Magazine writers. Um, Walter Isaacson, who wrote a biography of, of Ben Franklin, and John Furling, who, who actually has written a couple of interesting books on the uh, founding generation. But um, most of them are Time staff writers, and they just don't know what they're talking about in many cases. I mean, this is, but this magazine is going to get stuck on every, you know, the end cap of every uh, grocery store in America. It's going to be right there pointing in your face. Oppor- if it's opportune time, we've got the uh, Independence Day coming up. So, of course, great marketing. I saw it and thought, yeah, I mean, I'll pick that up so I can talk about it for a podcast episode. Um, and so I'm going to tell you, it's $16. Don't buy it. If you want to spend $16, go buy my pig to the Founding Fathers. It's the same price. And you get 300 pages as opposed to about, I don't know, 50. Let me see. How many pages is this thing? No, I'm sorry. It's a little longer than that. It's 88, uh, 90, about 90 pages. So you can pay $16 for 90 pages or you can pay $16 for about 300 pages and coming from yours truly. Just a better deal to get my pig to the Founding Fathers. And I cover most of the same stuff. Um, I don't focus on John Jay, and there's no Tom Paine. But other than that, and if you want Tom Paine, I wrote a little essay about him in my uh, Forgotten Founders that you get for signing up for my email. So there you go. you got all that stuff. You've got McClanahan everywhere that's talked about this stuff. So let's start with uh, the first essay uh, that I want to focus on. It's written by... Uh, Richard Jerome, who was one of the managing editors at the time. So he says this um, in his Seven Pillars of Freedom. Quote, 
Indeed, as the Times Special Edition notes, for all their undeniable virtues, the Founding Fathers were as human, in other words, flawed, as the next guy. The prickly Adams could be a royal pain, and Hamilton today the toast of Broadway, a preening, thin-skinned schemer. The Jovian Washington nursed a lifelong crush on a married neighbor, and infinitely more disturbing owned slaves. As did Jefferson, Madison, Jay, and even lovable old Ben Franklin. Most of the founders acknowledged slavery's evil and how hypocritical it was for a nation conceived in liberty and equality to abide human bondage. Some freed their own slaves and worked to end the practice, but the founders' worst failure was that slavery persisted, leaving a festering racial wound that hasn't healed. Still hasn't healed. So let's go back. Wait a second. A couple. Okay. Most of the founders acknowledged slavery's evil and how hypocritical it was for a nation conceived in liberty and equality to abide human bondage. First of all, they never said these things. That's Lincoln. So Richard Jerome, the managing editor at Time, doesn't even know the difference between Lincoln's Gettysburg Address and the Declaration of Independence. They don't know. This is problematic. There's a huge, glaring red flag right there. I mean, right in your face. This is Lincoln's recreation of America in 1863. But the, the, the thing that's interesting about that is that America, if you say America was conceived in liberty, well, the whole British Empire was conceived in liberty. I mean, British liberty was the heart of American liberty. So it wasn't unique. The idea of gaining independence, certainly, you could say, well, I mean, nobody really ever done that before. I mean, to an extent. I mean, you can go back in history and find where city-states had rebelled against uh, their parent state and gain their independence. You can find that stuff. But the whole point of the Declaration was actually to continue British conceptions of liberty that they said had been abridged by the British. To continue enjoying the things they had always enjoyed. So was it conceived in liberty? That's Lincoln's. Liberty and equality, nobody talked about uh, equality the way that Jerome is saying here. Nobody mentioned that. That's a fabrication. That is Richard Jerome putting his stamp, or I should say Lincoln's stamp, on the founding generation. Ridiculous. Just absolutely ridiculous. But that's what we that's what passes now for popular scholarship. And again, for sixteen dollars you can get my book, which I don't do that to you. Uh, one of the other things he writes about, or this when you get to the essay on George Washington, which is also written by Oh, that's actually written by Richard Lakeo, who is also a Time magazine writer. Uh, he says this. He talks about the Whiskey Rebellion, which I get into in Nine Presidents. And he gets the history wrong in many ways. Um, on August 1, 6,000 frontiersmen assembled outside Pittsburgh to denounce the tax and dare the government to come after them. Well, that's sort of true. Um, but in that Pittsburgh meeting, there was actually, uh, at one point, there were some attempts to soften that, but um, they weren't daring the government to come after them. Washington took the dare and led some 13,000 mili 13, militia forces against the rebels. The only time in history a sitting president had personally supervised a military operation. Well, that's that part's not true. Madison went out and uh, oversaw an artillery battery during the War of 1812. Um, and he says that you know Washington took the dare. Washington was reluctant to do this. In essence, he let Hamilton organize everything, and he just kind of went along for the ride. Washington was always reluctant to do this. 
he makes it sound like, uh, Lakeo makes it sound like Washington was chomping at the bit to go after these people. He wasn't. In fact, the, the history of the event is much more complex than this. And I think something that uh, people don't understand, Washington was not certain that this was even legal because he had been advised it wasn't. I mean, his, his attorney general said it wasn't. The uh, John Jay had said it wasn't. John Jay had said it wasn't. So there's several things here about these essays. This is just one. Uh, we could go through some other things with uh, with Washington, but there's there's just one to point out that's um, you know a little bit off. The essay on John Adams is interesting, though I think that the author uh, glosses over some pretty uh, Eileen Dayspin glosses over some pretty important parts about Adams' presidency, in particular offers about a sentence on the on the Alien Sedition Acts and makes it seem like, again, not really understanding the history, what was happening in the last uh, days of the Adams presidency um, and why Jefferson and Adams stopped talking. It wasn't because of the midnight appointments or anything like that. Adams and Jefferson stopped talking because Abigail Adams essentially didn't want her husband talking to Thomas Jefferson after she figured out that Jefferson was the one who was paying people to write some really nasty things about John Adams. And I don't think it was ever John Adams that wanted to necessarily cut off the correspondence. And Jefferson did try, though Abigail Adams did not allow uh, her husband to see Jefferson's letter. And once uh, Abigail Adams is out of the way, well, Jefferson and Adams picked up their friendship again. I, I think that this is a little bit overplayed in terms of Adams's role in that. And, and you know, Jefferson... Uh, as well. I mean, Jefferson certainly was a nasty partisan at times, and um, he did write, pay people to write some pretty nasty things about John Adams. Now, there is a, then a, a section on supporting players. It's titled Supporting Players, and they have Hancock and Mason and John Marshall, Patrick Henry, Sam Adams, Roger Sherman, Thomas Paine. So they pick some pretty important people here. I think Paine is one of the more overrated members of this group. So they have Jay as one of the seven pillars. He shouldn't be in there. And Payne, um, a lot of people like Payne. I've had people ask me about Payne uh, and why don't I do a podcast on Payne? Well, because Payne, in many ways, outside of common sense, was substantially overrated. I mean, common sense was important because it rallied uh, Americans, and I even mention it in this forthcoming class that I've got. Again, if, you, if you're already a McClanahan Academy subscriber, that's one thing I'll say. If you're already a McClanahan Academy subscriber, you know about the class already because I've already released it to you. Uh, but if you're not, uh, and then you don't know about it. And if you are a McClanahan Academy subscriber, you also get the deal on the class, which is what you want. But uh, Common Sense was, um, was an important document. It was an important pamphlet. And, of course, the American Crisis also was uh, perhaps influential in getting a bunch of New Englanders to stay in the war uh, when the war was going poorly. But outside of that, uh, Payne, Payne was irrelevant. He went over to France and got thrown in jail for being too much of a, of a more like a French revolutionary than an American. And that's an important distinction to make. The, the, the American War for Independence was just that. It was a conservative revolution a war for independence, not a radical transformation of society, which is what Paine essentially wanted. In fact, John Adams pointed out over and over again how Paine really didn't know what he was talking about. 
Now, there is an article by John Furling, as I said, on the Jefferson-Hamilton rivalry. And again, it's, it's a little bit too simplistic, but that's to be expected in a, uh, in a Time magazine piece. Um, but uh, regardless, it's fun to, to have this in here. Now, let's talk about Jefferson's essay. First of all, there's an entire aside by Anita Hamilton on the Sally Hemings non-story. And when I say it's, I cover this in my pick to the Founding Fathers. I am not one who believes that Jefferson conclusively fathered any of Sally Hemings' children. Now, I know there's people that I'm friends with and colleagues with that believe it. And that's fine. They can believe it. I just don't believe it. And I think that there are many other scholars who don't. And that scholar's report that denies it, or at least calls into question some of the evidence, is often swept aside. Now, I will say that this particular piece uh, does try to be balanced in that. But they give it a quote by Annette Gordon-Reed, who started this whole controversy again. I mean, this comes from James Callender, essentially, but started this whole controversy again uh, with her book on the uh, Hemingses of, of Monticello. Uh, and she says this. This is where she, this is how she, how she argues her entire point. A lot of what they said was based on prejudice. They were not taking the words of black people seriously. Her entire argument is based on, essentially, an emotional argument. If you think about what that argument is, it's an emotional argument. It's, it's, it's not an intellectual argument. It's emotional. Um, because she's saying, well, gosh, this is just unfair. They didn't take these people seriously. That's just because they, they're, they're a bunch of racists. They didn't do it. I don't, I don't think that's necessarily the case. Uh, when you look at some of the things that are being written, and they're talking about um, the information that came from some of the Hemings, uh, who were you know Sally Hemings' children. Uh, one of the most important documents out of that was written by an abolitionist, essentially, uh, and it was a lot of this literature that came out of the middle of the 19th century was written for a political purpose. This is why people said, wait a second here, can you really trust that? Uh, when you even look at the book like 12 Years a Slave, it's an interesting book to read, but it's there have been mainstream historians who've called that book into question as to how accurate the veracity of the account. We all know that Solomon Northrop was kidnapped into slavery, and this is, this is beyond doubt because it's settled in court. But the description of, of life in the South um, is maybe uh, made up uh, <laughs> because of the fact that some of the literary techniques used in the writing that Northrop probably didn't say these things that the uh, the writer actually said these things. So that's the point. Uh, this is where people you know, are critical of this uh, the Hemings accounts. But the the one of the it's interesting striking when you read this this essay because they have these little parts where they pull text out and they say you know highlight a piece of text. This is highlighted. Let me read this to you. The highlighted text. This defines Jefferson. Quote, While Jefferson worked on the Declaration, his enslaved body servant fortified him with cups of tea. What does that matter? Really, at the end of the day, what does that matter? Now, I'm not saying this to be insensitive, but honestly, how how does that matter? Um, He's writing the Declaration. He had... Yeah, I mean, this is a slaveholding society. They, I mean, I think people could imagine that this was going on. But to highlight this text, it's one of Jefferson's highlights. 
not just somewhere in the text. I can understand you say these things in the text. All right, well, maybe this is an irony uh, if you want to, because this person believes that, again, they, they list, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. And that's the only line from the Declaration that's cited in the entire <laughs> in the entire piece about the Declaration. That's it. That one line. This is how stupid this is. But, again, that's what's pulled out. This So it's silly that these people really don't know what they're talking about. You know, it's it's silly. Uh, now, uh, also in this particular uh, piece, there's no mention, really, of the Kentucky re- resolutions. None at all. So an important part of Jefferson's life, an important part of his views on government, is completely left out. Again, makes sense. Now, the Hamilton piece, uh, you know, look, it's, it's extremely laudatory, but... Lo and behold, after you get Hamilton, you get a discussion of the Broadway musical. See, this is why I wrote how Alexander Hamilton screwed up America, because this, this. You get the Broadway musical, uh, you get the Hamilton, the version of Hamilton as something that's great. Uh, now, I know that there is uh, some talk about um, you know Hamilton having some personal foils, but nothing about his constitutional machinations. Nothing about Hamilton causing all kinds of problems for future generations because he put the blueprint out there for how you could really mess up the general government. You could go beyond the delegated powers. Hamilton did that. But no, this is just a, a vanilla piece on Hamilton, the great guy, with, of course, the musical immediately following. And then following that, you have a little tiny piece, The Stain of Slavery. Now, this just shows you where we are in the 21st century. Why is this even in here? It's in here because you can't say you like the founding generation without qualifying that by, well, they were slave owners. Yet we know that. Is that even necessary? The entire book that I wrote on the founding generation, um, and people have criticized me for this. Why didn't you talk about slavery? Why? I'll tell you why. Because it was an American institution, north and south. It was accepted across the board. Uh, there were certainly people that thought it was a bad institution, should go away, and many uh, in, in the south in particular. Uh, but why would, I, why would I do that? Because you're qualifying your admiration. It's politically incorrect just to say you admire the founders no matter what they were. And we should. We should admire the founders no matter what they were. And, of course, uh, you know, the language of this, it's, it's just saturated with political correctness. Saturated with it. Uh, you can't go, you can't say anything without having to qualify your admiration for someone. Uh, you know, it, it doesn't matter who they are. It could be uh, John Jay, it could be George Washington. Uh, they do have a little piece on Chisholm v. Georgia that they kind of get wrong. Um, which is interesting. And then there's an essay on why the Federalist Papers matter by Olivia Waxman, another Time Magazine author who really doesn't know what she's talking about. Uh, the funny thing is, um, Waxman and others in this in this magazine seem to think the Federalist essays were more important than they were. They really weren't that important at the time. Nobody paid much attention to them. There were other essays that were much more important. James Wilson's State House Yard speech, George Mason's response to that. Um, you look at pamphlets that were written in the various states, these things that came out in New York, yeah, they were reprinted in other places, but there were some others that were just as influential. In fact, maybe more so when it came to ratification. 
The only reason the, the Federalist essays have taken on any type of mythical uh, reverence for them is because of the men who wrote them, because of the stature that Hamilton and Madison and eventually John Jay as of Justice, uh, Justice of the Supreme Court would have after they wrote these things. But in terms of contemporary impact, very little. In fact, the Constitution was only ratified by three votes in New York where they were written. So obviously they didn't swing a lot of people in the direction of ratification. But yet, because Hamilton and Madison and Jay wrote them, we got to sit and talk about them all the time, which there are better essays by the quote-unquote friends of the Constitution. Then you got an article on James Madison, um, which is interesting. But again, here's what the author says in a, in a highlighted text. Though always aware that slavery was gravely wrong, Madison, unlike Washington, not free his slaves in his will. That's, that's a highlighted text. Something we just need to know. This is James Madison. Not that, I mean, you go back and look for the other highlights. So that's a highlighted text. Um, there's one that says, Madison originally argued against the Bill of Rights, his greatest legacy, believing that to enumerate some liberties would shortchange others. Uh, Madison and Jefferson were bookish and soft-spoken, and a biographer noted forged a perfectly balanced, balanced friendship. These are the things that need to be highlighted, not his role in the Constitution. No, not at all. Not his role as president. We have to highlight these stupid things. And then from there, you actually have a piece on women of independence uh, by Courtney Mifsud. Mifsud. Uh, now, I, this is not to disparage women. I, look, I wrote in my Pig to Real American Heroes, I had a chapter on Mercy Otis Warren. Um, so, important people, but in their own sphere, you can't say that any of these individuals, any of these women, had a greater amount of influence past their own household. Because they didn't, ultimately. Uh, now, you know, they had influence over their husbands, Absolutely. But to have it pass their own household, just no. They didn't have much past that. Uh, and finally, you have Ben Franklin, uh, which is an interesting piece. Um, I- I've always found Franklin to be an interesting guy. Uh, but uh, regardless, what you have in this particular magazine is a politically incorrect, ja- or politically, I should say politically correct jaunt through the American founding. If you want something that focuses on the issues that politically correct people want to focus on, which is slavery and women, well, you got it. If you want something that gives you a a firm understanding of the founding generation, you don't have it here. And again, you could get for $16 my book on the founding generation, which is better than this thing, any day of the week for the same amount of money. So think about doing that. My pig to the Founding Fathers beats this thing hands down. All right. I'll see you next time on The Brian McClendon.